Yesterday, school superintendents from all over California went to the state capitol to press legislators to put tax extensions on a June ballot in order to avoid a $4.6 billion cut in public school funding. Public school officials have been furiously balancing their budgets in the past months. The Los Angeles Unified School District is the second largest in the country after New York and is now operating at a $408 million deficit. Every month, the LAUSD sends out a sort of newsletter to parents filled with PTA information, upcoming events, and new programs. This month, the entire packet is filled with the budget plan for reductions. In it, Incoming Superintendent John Daisy includes a plan of action to the Board of Education and outgoing LAUSD Chief Ramon Cortines. In the cover letter on the plan, Dr. Daisy writes this, quote, Nobody wants this plan or endorses it, but we must adopt this plan in order to proceed in finding a path toward restoration, unquote. By restoration, the superintendent means bringing back teachers and programs that are slated to be cut in September. The plan sets out four scenarios to close the $400 million gap. The first three all depend on Governor Brown's June ballot proposal to extend tax increases in California. The fourth scenario takes up the rest of this month's newsletter to parents and community and is called Plan B. It's stamped with full crisis on several pages. Unless Governor Jerry Brown and the state legislature succeed in increasing taxes by the July 1st end of the fiscal year, there is every reason to believe that Plan B is what LAUSD students can expect. And administrators are planning for it, for the full crisis. So what can we do? Well, we've decided to look at what's working now and to learn from it. On that tip, we'll be right back with a visit to the Long Beach Convention Center, where thousands of teachers came together from all over the country to strategize and learn about how they can best deal with the already pressing problem of low graduation rates and test scores in the fastest-growing segment of society today in the U.S., Latino youth. We'll talk to a community outreach expert who finds that the key to success is cross-cultural understanding and relationship building. This is Here in the City, and I'm here with Marcelino Serna, who is a parent and family um, involvement coordinator for the San Bernardino Unified School District. That's correct, yes. And thank you for taking the time to talk. We're at the um, California Association of Bilingual Educators Conference, and I wanted to ask if you could explain a little bit about the job that you do and why, um, why you're here at this conference, why it's important for you to present here. Okay. Well, I've been the great fortune of working in San Marino City Schools for the past five years, and my role there is to really get parents engaged in the education of their children. You would think that you wouldn't need somebody in that position to do that, but part of my role is to really advocate and assist parents to um, learn the educational system, to be able to feel empowered to come into a school and be the advocate for their children. And many times we find that parents feel that they are not connected to school somehow, some way. So I try to create gateway programs that at least allow parents to get connected to the school and then begin to create relationships at the schools that they, they are a part of. 
I really enjoyed that you started by sharing, breaking down stereotypes, mm -hmm. basically. Why is it so important for somebody who's teaching to actually open up to students and engage in that way from, from your perspective? Okay. I think one of the things that I look for when teachers create relationships by opening up themselves, it, 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 it allows a teacher to open up and show that they are human and that they're not this powerful being in the classroom, that they're really there to educate and help the students succeed in their lives. Um, but a lot of teachers are afraid because of vulnerability. And so if they can get past that, I think that helps create and open doors to the relationship building that needs to happen before a child will learn. Because as I said yesterday in our presentation, uh, one of the things that's important is I'm not going to learn until I know you care. And until I know about you, I don't know that you do care. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in that sense, is creating relationships that are powerful for, te for teachers and students to have a bond that then create that synergistic approach to learning. And something that you pointed out yesterday that I think resonates um, about Southern California in, within the national context is that we're going through a very big demographic change in the United States. Um, and Southern California happens to be a place that almost already reflects some of those changes that the rest of the nation is going to see, especially with regards to the amounts of Latino and African-American students in the schools and perhaps the cultural differences with teachers. And so I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about that um, and the achievement gap that is often present in graduation and in test scores. Well, you're alluding to uh, a large issue that I think education has to grapple with. And one of the things is um, when you have a cultural mismatch, those students that are, in, that are students of color, black or brown, African-American, Latino, are at greater risk because then kids will get disengaged from the teacher that it's teaching. And one of the things that we're finding, especially in our, I always have to say this, our black and brown, African-American, Latino boys, um, have the greatest risk of all because predominantly the teaching profession is females and traditionally white females that come out of college that have not the cultural background that when they go into urban districts and teach become challenged. And so when you have those teachers that do come out of college that have the relationship building capacity because they've known where they come from or they've been involved in a culture that they understand, then they have greater impact in changing academic achievement than those that don't. So I think that until we begin to create that curriculum in colleges so that teachers can get that information, and I'm saying across the nation, not just in our state, but across the nation, we'll begin to see some changing. So it's important that families, it's important that families feel like they're included in the education process. Absolutely. Um, I have to feel connected before... I'm going to attend any workshop or any PTA meeting or anything that's going on. And traditionally, administrators and teachers feel that if they're not in PTA, they're not in school site council, they're not coming to the doorsteps, that they don't care about their children. I have not spoken to one parent. I don't care if it's the drug-addicted mom or the drug-addicted dad or whatever the case may be that does not care about their children. Every parent cares about their children. It's the level of need that's being met before they go participate in education. And there's something that is, I think, really important that's being talked about at this conference, which is that 
parents should be able to come to a school, and that's the place where all parents are equally welcome. If education's the great equalizer, then the school is the site for not just the student as one person, it's a whole family that's involved in that process. Well, you know, schools in our communities are hubs, and that's one of the things that I always try to talk about. We have a, a, a valuable resource in facilities and playgrounds, and so if we can create some even relationships with, like, our city government agencies, do some joint use agreements where communities come to schools and participate in a variety of other activities, then they say, oh, wow, that's the school. I can also connect myself there to education. So I think it's important that we look beyond just the educational arena, that we also help in the community building aspects of things that go on at schools. So my last question for you, Marcelino Serna, from the San Bernardino Unified School District, would be um, what is that, if you could identify some quality about the teachers who are most successful in really making families feel welcome and connecting to students who um, are the most in need of that lift up so that they can do better in school and achieve what they're able to, what would be a quality or two in teachers like that that you've seen in your experience? Well, what I see in most teachers, you know, I, the majority of teachers that I talk to, they care about people. And I think if you have a, a, a strong heart in caring about people, then you're going to be successful. If you're relational, if you create strong relationships, and just be real. Don't, don't try to be somebody else you're not. Be you. Um, and when people can see that you are you and that you are relational and that you are human and you might have to open yourself up to some vulnerabilities to so they see where you're coming from, you're going to be successful because at least when you come out of college, they, you know, you, you get that degree, you get that credential, you are a certified teacher that knows what you're supposed to be doing. But one of the things they don't teach real well is relationship building. So if you can create relationships with your students, your teachers, and your school community, you're going to be successful. That's what I believe. Thank you very much. Thank you. After my interview with Marcelino Serna, I walked out onto the steps of the Long Beach Convention Center straight into a group of some 40 fabulously dressed young men and women, the Compton High Choir. The choir is a pride and joy of the school and has been invited to sing at the education conference. I caught up with Tessia, a graduate of the choir, as the group was warming up because I wanted to know about how students see Compton Unified's situation in the whole budget crisis. See, Compton Unified was one of the first schools in L.A. County to undergo a grueling seven-year assessment that resulted in a total restructuring because the district was deemed to be failing. Can I ask you a question, Mm -hmm. Tessia? Yes. While we're waiting, um, so... uh, you're a graduate of Compton? Yes, I am. And what was your experience like in high school? Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I mean, the, the choir is a great opportunity there. They have a great choir. We have a great director also. So I think that's what made my experience at Compton High even better, the extracurricular activities there. So you were in the choir? Yes, I was. I know that Compton High, went the whole school district, they went through like an overhaul recently. Right, right? they did. They did. I, I, but, but, you know, they have great students there. Academically, they have great students there. Um, I do think the district needs a little more, you know, funding with everything. But, but as far as that, the district is a really good district and the school also. What makes it a good school and a good district? I think it's the teachers. And what makes for you, like, the best quality in a teacher or a staff member that you just know that 
that they care and that they're there for you as a student. To take their time out and uh, to pay attention to a student individually and their needs individually. Instead of as a class, they will take the time out to tutor you one-on-one -on -one if you need it and they, you know, without even the, the pay. Sometimes teachers will stay hours after school to make sure you'll pass your exam, to make sure your senior portfolio is done. My sister has come a long way and I think it was the push of the teachers. And she's now head of the choir? Yes, she's head of the choir and this is her senior year. Thank you very much. No problem. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you.